Welcome back to another issue. I'm Beastie Boy. I'm Table. I'm Red. I'm T-Stain. It is I, Shino Brando. And in this issue, we celebrate our 100th episode with the passing of torches. So what we mean by passing of torches today is mantles, is one person shifting into a position after somebody else leaves it, whether voluntarily, deliberately, or just because shit happens, which in the realm of comics, which is where we'll be discussing this, happens a lot. There are a lot of big names in comics that you think of when you think, oh, this mantle goes to them, this mantle goes to them. We tried to stay away from some of the more obvious ones, but there are others today that are just too good to pass up. One of those mm. is what Beastie brought. What you got? Mm. Well, I brought the good old classic Spider Voice, or you know, Spider-Man, as the comics has called them as well. But I have the classic passing of Peter Parker from the 616, or Ultimate Universe as well, to Miles Morales of the Ultimate Universe, but now also brought into the main universe. The passing of this torch is very unique because it's basically our classic favorite nerdy boy, Peter Parker, working for Daily Bugle, taking photos and all that stuff, taking pictures himself, passing it on to someone who's a little bit much younger than uh, when he started out, but also a person of color or has a, a different heritage background per se, or even growing up, who is Miles Morales, who is both black and Hispanic or Latinx, as other people would describe him. This is one of my favorite ones just because I am a Spidey fan, so... That's the, why, the reason why I brought him in, but, you know, don't, don't worry about it. It's fine. Spider <laughs> boys. Yeah, right? The reason why I brought this one is because this one was, like, a unique showing for myself just because, let alone being a Spider fan, but seeing someone represented as the same, you know, like, background as myself, just to be able to see someone on comics, and then hopefully later on to the big screen, like, you know, with the same representation from that switch, or seeing a new person come in to take him the mantle. Whereas when we saw... Miles Morales is exactly in Miles Morales Ultimate Spider-Man in 2014, issue number one, which was published on May 7th, written by Brian Michael Bendis, and he did a really freaking good job on bringing in the character and introducing this young kid just who grows up, I wouldn't say the hood, but like per se, like his area of New York, and is learning slowly on what it means to take on responsibility in the biggest scale. Besides the iterations of in the comics, there's iterations of when you see it in the popular movie Into the Spider-Verse, where Miles is the prominent character that's shown from in the animations. Besides seeing the main Spider-Man, or that version of Peter, you get to see another Peter come into his universe, and also many other Spider-Men, essentially teaching him on what it means to be Spider-Man, or, you know, taking that leap of faith, as it's mentioned into the movie, being able to, you know, understand, A, like, it's it takes time, and it you'll grow into the position of being able to know what responsibility is and how to help others when you can. And that's what Miles does exactly in per se the movie, in the comics, and even per se in the video game, Spider-Man PS4 and PS5. So Yeah, Miles always had a steep learning curve, much like Pete back in the day. See, Pete used to get his ass beat almost all the fucking time. <laughs> oh, too many times. Yeah, and then, and then have to come back and like take care of it. So, I mean, yeah, like Spider-Verse, the reason why I love that movie so much is because of that, that personal feel, too, of... I was miles back when I was a youth, right? And I love Spidey too. So, like, I mean, who doesn't? So, yeah. so to see, to, you know, to see a, an actual Spidey of color, other than Miguel O'Hara, right? Because I mean, Miguel was one thing, mm -hmm. right? But to actually see colored skin underneath that mask is something else. And I think in Ultimate Universe, I think he started out with Peter's old costume first, and then changed it over to what we know now. So, yeah, he um, had a version of like 
a makeshift store bought one and then yeah kind of transitioned afterwards once he yeah. got the official one in from nick fury and those guys but that's another key thing too like how nick fury looked out for him same way he looked out for peter like you know and more than just an asset i believe and then his transition over to 616 which i've never been too clear on i don't know how that worked out does anybody really know like how miles jumped over I do, I do, I do, I do. I do. Okay, right, talk to me, please. He seems excited. So, Secret Wars, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, the 2016 one, or the 2014 one, or whatever the newest one was, mm-hmm. is when universes starting being mashed together, like, Earth started colliding into each other with no survivors. Mm, okay. And then the end of that story is that Reed Richards and Molecule Man have to re-put back the universes, and Miles okay. just gets plopped onto ours. Okay, so like a good old Crisis on Infinite, but the Marvel version. Ten. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Secret Wars was the popular story for the whole melding of all that, because I wasn't it. I don't know if it was Illumin- the Illuminati situation of like it sure was. when the whole yeah yeah. So that's what led it up into the Secret Wars, and then uh, bada boom, bada bang. Yeah, we have all this situation. So I dig yeah. it. Okay, I dig it. Mm-hmm. And current continuity, we've actually seen it on one of our other shows, one of our live streams on Thursdays, where we touched on some recent Miles comics. The situation seems to be Miles is handling Brooklyn, Peter's handling Manhattan and other surrounding areas, and they're just tag teaming it. They're both Spider-Man of New York. Mm-hmm. I dig that too. It's Using really the interesting because, like, the character of Spider-Man was sort of an everyman type guy, right? Mm-hmm. He was very much a let your audience project onto him. But Marvel's made their stance very clear that if you're Peter Parker's not white, it's not Peter Parker; it's somebody else. Right, and. Then they doubled down on that by just making other Spider-Men to fill the other roles for other people to have their everyman. Because Mm -hmm. that's still the point of Spider-Man, even if it can't be the point of Peter Parker all the time. That's right. right. Mm -hmm. And after all that shenanigans, it was shown that there is a true Miles Morales of the 616 universe in Spider-Man 2. Okay. To which Peter Parker and our boy Miles Morales... Go find that one. And mm-hmm. he's just a dickhead. He's a murderer. What? Yeah. Hell no. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And he's just behind bars and he just stays there because he's serving 25 to life. He's just hanging out. What a way to, to, to write out your 616 version of what character. This one, you might as well just say he was dead. Uh, killed him in a tragic car accident. Jesus. Oh my God. Falling off a bridge. Like, come on. This what? wasn't necessary. Man. All right. That's that's kind of a brutal, <laughs> fortunate Marvel. Yeah, it was real hyped. Like, Brian Michael Bendis was like, haha, this is the sequel to the, the best thing I've ever written. I mean, it was. Sequels. All those yeah. Sequels. All those words were, in fact, correct. <laughs> and then all the hype, he just ruined it by issue six. He was an, an asshole. No. <sighs> Damn, so close. Well, oh well. But yeah, that is uh, the passing of Spider-Man. Super yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Did you know? That 37% of you aren't subscribed to the channel on YouTube? You can help change that by hitting the subscribe button just below the video. And now, back to the show. On to a completely different house. Let's talk Batgirl for a minute. We've done a whole episode on Batgirls, so I'm not going to get too far into too much because been there, done that. Check that episode out if you want some more details. But specifically, I want to talk about the transition from Barbara Gordon to Cassandra Kane because it it wasn't like okay I'm gonna stop being Batgirl let's go find me a replacement no for those unfamiliar Barbara Gordon's transition from Batgirl to her later role of Oracle was messy initially she puts down the cape hangs it up says I'm gonna go to college and do other stuff and good for her great plan awesome and then she gets a knock at her door and 
we get the events of the killing joke. We also touched on that because for all that that book stands as one of the most well-known comic stories of all times. Unfortunately. uh, It has serious misogyny problems among others. One of which being the Joker shoots Barbara to use her as a prop for the plot of the comic to mess with her dad. She ends up permanently crippled and she just has to live with that now. Following this, she becomes Oracle because Barbara gets really pissed, incredibly angry, and she takes the kind of approach that, no, he's taken nothing from me. I am exactly the person that I was before. I'm just now going to do this instead. Mm -hmm. And then she basically becomes the archetypal mastermind behind the keyboard that every other guy in the chair wishes they could be from this point on. Correct. And we're looking at you, Felicity Smoke. Felicity Smoke, discount Oracle. Oh, I'm... I'll never forgive Arrowverse for that wheelchair fake nope. out. Oh boy. Oh, let's not go there. If you want us to do an episode on the Arrowverse and everything it got wrong, leave a comment. Message us on social media. Nice. Where can they do that, Red? On Twitter, at Crusade Nerd, on Instagram, at Nerd Crusade, and whatever other social media people are using these days. We love to hate. I'm sure we'd have a great time with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At all of our sanity surprises. But for ages, there was no Batgirl. Batgirl was, for all intents and purposes, dead. Until No Man's Land. No Man's Land's an interesting one. Because if you know DC Comics, you know No Man's Land. And Mm -hmm. if you don't know DC Comics, then you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Basically, a whole bunch of shit culminates in Gotham at once. There was an earthquake. There's anarchy. And now you've got, like, gang warfare on a citywide scale. Everyone in the entire country has washed their hands of the situation. They've gone, (laughs) that's fucked up. And don't want to be involved. And literally cage the area off. Like, don't go there and anything coming out of there, try to shoot it if you can. Yes. Gotham literally becomes no man's land. During this arc, Helena Bertinelli, at one point, Huntress, starts Mm -hmm. wearing a Batgirl suit to fuck around with people. It's not a traditional Batgirl suit. It's all black, has an outline of a yellow bat, and is much spookier than Barbara's traditional outfits. She doesn't keep it for long. I think she has it for two issues. But this is the first appearance of what will later become Cassandra Kane's background outfit. Best costume ever. It is. It is the spookiest thing in the world, and I love it. Cass was raised to be a weapon, basically. It's not an uncommon origin, but hers was one of the most interestingly done. She's the daughter of Lady Shiva, the world's deadliest woman, and David Kane, an asshole with a gun. She was raised deliberately without language to force her to rely on body language to enhance her combat skills. At the age of eight, Mm -hmm. she was first taken to kill a man and she does so. And she is so horrified by this act, finds it so repulsive and unnatural and evil that she Mm -hmm. runs away. She spends nine years homeless in various locations Mm -hmm. until she ends up in Gotham at 17 during no man's land oh no not a she... teenager in gotham oh no wait you said you, you're missing the key word there orphaned she's not orphaned yet neither her mother nor her father are dead to her they are damn they're not That's around true. she's just being neglected right now <laughs> Cass ends up under the wing of oracle working with her as one of her agents during this whole crisis initially she's just that she's just helping out And certainly communication is difficult because, again, Cass doesn't have language skills because that was kept from her. For most of her career, Cass deals with that particular problem, by the way, as just a disability she has. She Mm -hmm. struggles with speech. She struggles with reading. It's just one of her character traits until later. 
Following saving Commissioner Gordon's life from her own father, Babs gives Cass the Batgirl costume and decides that she's going to train her specifically as Batgirl in that role because of how much she values human life and how dedicated she is to that. I want to be clear here. Any of the wikis and stuff will tell you that this occurred with Batman's approval. And while technically that is true, because her first appearance as Batgirl involves her coming out to Oracle, Batman, and Robin all just kind of chilling in a room, the decision was Barbara's. Batman actually doesn't get a say on this one because that's how Batgirl works. It's none of his fucking business. The, sure, he's I, there, but like, who cares? I, I believe, yeah, but to say I believe that also that happened twice. I think because I also think when when Tim came around the corner, Dick Grayson's like, "We're hiring him," and Bruce is like, oh, "God damn it, okay, fine." Yeah, the hiring managers do not consult Bruce Wayne. Yeah, never. <laughs> In my personal opinion, they shouldn't. <laughs> the one time he hired somebody, they got blown up. Only a couple years later, if the title isn't Batman. He doesn't get a say. <laughs> But Bruce's second hire, like, is probably his best. Yeah, well, I mean, poor kid. I mean, he tried. His first hire is great. Second hire, not so great. So I mean, like, he's he's one out. Of, he's one out of what four? That's he didn't hire Tim. He didn't hire Stephanie. He didn't hire Damien. I think he's one out of four. I think yeah, he's good, kind of. Twenty-five percent passing rate. Yeah. All right. But Sandra King, from this point on, we had this discussion in our Batgirl episode, but she defines the role as. Not just there to assist, not just there to look fun or be a supporting character, but to pursue her own narratives, pursue her own enemies, and preserve life at all costs. Cass doesn't kill, but she sure as hell doesn't lose either. Mm -hmm. And she'll hold that role until just some sheer fuckery. There's no kinder way to put it. She dies a little bit, gets resurrected, is sort of still Batgirl, but not, and then it's definitely not Batgirl, because basically Stephanie Brown gets it, not quite out of nowhere, but mostly out of nowhere, and Cass gets sent to Hong Kong in a really weirdly racist move. That was like a Tuesday at DC. <laughs> yeah, but her Batgirl runs are some of the most popular ones you'll find. The art style is distinctive. It's round and squishy, but also really, really pointy. The stories are interesting and cool, and she does the mantle proud. I always did like Cassie as an addition. One, because I do like the silent character. Like, I, like she she gives me the Snake Eyes vibes, and I, you know how I feel about that. Not everybody on the team has to talk. Some of them just do the do, which Cassie did. Like, she used to just, like, walk the walk. Little chat with her, right? She just, the mission is the thing. There's no footing around about it. She's going to go do it. So, um, and then the way she would play off, like, you know, Batman kind of liked the silence sometimes, right? Because she would do the job and point things out where it's just like, hey, man, focus on this. He's like, oh, yeah, you're right. She was a very effective member of the team. And like everybody table said, I think she's probably the better Batgirl of all the Batgirls, honestly. I mean, I love Barbara to death, but Barbara, again, Barbara's best iteration is is her in that wheelchair, sorry to say. But Oracle's her best work by far, man. I mean, she was literally shouldering, like, what, the Justice League? The Justice League, the Birds of Prey, the Bat family, and anyone asking a favor if she felt like helping out. If she felt like help, exactly. And so, the Gotham like, City Police Department, because, yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's Barbara's best iteration, man. Oracle's the shit. So, yeah, and Cassie, for me, was that... Uh, because if you're going to talk about ninjas on that team a whole lot and dress one of them like a ninja a whole bunch, but, like, not really do a bunch of ninja shit, I mean, you you might as well just make one a member. And they, they technically did. And that was Cassie, man. So, uh, 
And she always wins best dressed, so. It's nice to see a mantle pass where both characters improve following it. Both of them get to be their best selves. Yeah. It took a while with the Grayson suit. Like, like Dick's best iteration is, is being Nightwing. Like, people remember him as Robin, but, like, everybody else loves him as Nightwing, right? Right. Right? And then everybody else afterwards. To this day, Tim's is the prototype for every Robin you see on TV, but only now he's getting his dues where, like, now Damon's being shelved nowadays, so... <laughs> You can't shelf in a weird place, though. We'll have to have a discussion about whatever yeah. the hell's going on with those at yeah. some point. Mm-hmm. Hold, on, yeah, to, like, hold every... on to some of those thoughts about Damien. He comes up later. I guess, I guess so, yeah. But I mean, like so far, everybody's like best iteration from the Bat family seems to be their second go at it. I think, yeah. I think Cassie's the, probably the better. Is she the second Batgirl? Depends how you count, because there's the very first Batgirl that... Kane, I think, yep. or Bet's Oh, yeah, okay, Bat... And okay. there's the appearance of a Batwoman on the 64 show. Yeah. But for modern continuity's sake, yes, Cass is okay. background number two. Okay, well, yeah, there you go. Second time around, it's better, kind of say. But that takes us back to Marvel. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the mantle that I'm bringing to the metaphorical table today is going to be Miss Marvel. And this, like a couple of the other mantles that have already been discussed, uh, both in this episode and earlier episodes, this is a mantle that kind of comes up as a parallel to an existing mantle. Because we have Captain Marvel that goes through a whole lot of iterations before it gets to the Captain Marvel that we're familiar with from the MCU, uh, Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers also, though, starts off with the moniker of Miss Marvel. She is the first person who carries it. She adapts this moniker in parallel to the existing Captain Marvel before she takes it. And the thing that's interesting about both these monikers, Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel, is they're not always strictly passed on. They do fall into that. Sometimes someone just picks them up. Sometimes there's a mentorship. Currently, Miss Marvel is in the comic books, Camilla Khan, who is a 16-year-old Pakistani-American from New Jersey City. She does represent a part of that increased inclusion that Marvel has been able to do recently. This year, we're getting a Disney Plus show that is Ms. Marvel featuring this iteration. And this is also lining us up for live-action film, The Marvels, which is going to be another kind of group, sort of reiteration of the Avengers, or not reiteration, but filling that team-up spot that is kind of open at this time. I'm excited to see uh, these live-action adaptations. I think that they're going to be really great. And uh, yeah, that's kind of what I got. Right on. Okay. So I've always appreciated with the moniker of Ms. Marvel coming from the, you know, the nomenclature of Captain Marvel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And doubling down on, haha, this is a Marvel character for A. Yes. And then that whole shenanigans with it also being, and then not being Shazam from DC. <laughs> yes. Silliest yeah. dick fights in history. Yes. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. Just one of those yeah. lawyerific dick measuring contexts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now being passed to a person of color whose role in the character isn't now defined by her being a woman. It's now defined, oh, this is a a person of color with their own culture. Because if memory serves me right, Ms. Marvel, well, Kamala Khan's Ms. Marvel, incorporates some of her belief system into her costume a time or two. Yes. 
And that's something very interesting about this particular pass-off of the moniker, especially in the comics, but I suspect we'll see it in the series as well, is this comes from a person idolizing the Carolyn Daverns, but also saying, I want to be like her, but not in every aspect of myself. Mm -hmm. Like there is, I think, a very healthy degree of, I see this person as a role model, but I don't have to be a carbon copy of this person. Exactly. I identify with her, but not all of it, right? Exactly. And I think that that's something that's really important as we keep looking at like the way that we're seeing people on screen and we want to emulate them in some way, but also realizing that we can't draw exact parallels between real life experiences and fictional experiences. So I'm really excited for that. I'm also okay. excited for that show to show us like a level of fan culture. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. scared of yeah. that actually. <laughs> because this is going to be teenage girl in the world of the internet. Mm -hmm. And in the way that real life fandom treats the Marvel Cinematic Universe, my hope is that they might touch on some of the weirdness that happened with Captain Marvel when that movie came out. Yeah. That really stuffs Marvel's foot into all those jackasses' mouth that decided to backlash that movie. Absolutely. And I think that the misogyny, I think, is going to come twofold potentially when you've got a woman of color, right? Because we know that aggressions tend to pile up on one another. So I'm curious to see to what degree they do that. Mm -hmm. It's not so much that I think Disney Plus will... Disney MCU, it's not so much that I think they'll do it poorly, but I do worry that they'll underdo it. Just because, like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think they that they will... want to make it palatable. I mm. think that they will make it palatable, and I think that that effort to sanitize it could undermine it. Right? Mm. And, you know, like, that's always a difficult thing to stand in, because you look at the way that the films have done, like, Captain America, right? Is it important to show Captain America fighting along soldiers of color? Yes. Yeah. But also, let's not forget the historical racism that was present in the U.S. military yeah. during the, the world <laughs> wars, right? Like, let's not pretend that actually everything was great, because everything's not great. Mm. So I think that that's something that Marvel, especially as we, you know, continue these live adaptations, is going to struggle with. They very rarely put their foot in their mouth, but there is always the opportunity for them to underdevelop an idea or not take a firm enough stance and that just plays into the marketability of it right they always want to make everyone happy right i want you to keep that thought in mind when we talk by my part later on okay oh, awesome so it's interesting the specifics of kamala's relationship with carol and how much she idolizes her and how she finds her own position in that that's one of the plots of her first book is yes kamala's powers in the comics are shape-shifting she's rubber she's gooey she's yeah. stretchy but she, she eats the gum, she gum pretends, yeah mm -hmm. yeah changes her appearance and pretends to be carol for a while she pretends to be a pretty blonde white woman to do the work because she thinks that what that's what she has to be to be a hero so it's part of her narrative that she learns that no she can do this as herself she can do this with her heritage and her background and her identity and that's okay mm -hmm. i kind of live so. in the hopeful of Based on how Marvel has done Black Panther and then Shang-Chi and then in the Eternals, we saw Kingo yes. like living in that Bollywood centric lifestyle mm -hmm. and being able to portray that very, very well. Yeah. I want to imagine that the footprints of this are being set up mm -hmm. and the representation from the MCU 
for the most part, tends to be okay. They've been doing better. They've been doing a decent job. Here and there, yeah. Took us back to the world of Batman the Animated Series. And then let's flash forward time 35 years. Neo it's been Gotham, that long already? Oh boy. Uh, not in real lifetime, but in continuity. Oh, okay. Neo Gotham is heroless and overrun by criminals. A teenager, isn't it always, mm-hmm. is finding his own way to deal with crime and the Joker's gang. This is the tale of Batman's truest successor, Terry McGinnis, the Batman Beyond. Uh, kick-ass theme song. Thank you. Way back in the times of Justice League Unlimited, Amanda Waller watched Bruce Wayne deal with the Royal Flush Gang. For those unfamiliar with Justice League Unlimited, follow along carefully. You see, Ace had just grown in power and would blow up the city if she wasn't stopped. Only Bruce Wayne's mix of cold, calculated ingenuity and a big enough heart to sit with a dying girl could solve this problem. Because of this act, Amanda Waller put in motion a plan to make sure a Gotham always had a Batman. That episode, if it didn't make you cry, you're either heartless or a liar, okay? Uh, I mean, I'm a... Fucking facts. Back in the future of Neil Gotham, Bruce Wayne and yet another teenager for him to train met and the bond of mentor and mentee was born. With Bruce Wayne in his ear, Terry took on the mantle, grabbed the torch by the batterings, if you will, and carved his own path. This path would introduce Shriek and Ink, two to the Batman canon, two villains with cool concepts that I find with more modern villains that have been introduced after that to mm-hmm. be subpar. I also enjoyed Blight. Blight was cool. 100%. 15 years of being Batman go by for Terry. Mm-hmm. When suddenly Bruce Wayne needs an organ donation. And Terry learns of a Amanda Waller's genetic manipulation. In the episode Justice League Unlimited, simply titled Epilogue. This is Also whole... some hard shit. Yeah. This is that whole episode that with Ace and the, the Royal Flesh Gang. Mm-hmm. Amanda Waller lays out her entire plot. And to quote the former leader of Cadmus, I've known Bruce Wayne for over 50 years. And for all that fierce exterior, I've never met anyone who cared about his fellow man as Bruce Wayne. See, it came up from Batgirl too. Except maybe you. When Bruce Wayne offers you the role of Batman, you take it whether you're related to him by blood or not. That one's not actually an offer. Uh, That's the instruction. Bruce Wayne has put down the mantle for many years at that point. Yeah. So much so he's let Wayne Industries go. He's let entirely what makes up being Batman Bruce Wayne go. And it is only because he's got someone else that is able to pick up some of the pieces. That relationship in Batman Beyond, by the way, is pretty great. Yeah. (laughs) Terry putting on the Batsuit for the very first time, he straight up steals it from the Batcave. Yeah. And then Batman is like, okay, I put comms in the suit because I used to have somebody in my ear. I might as well be in your ear. Mm-hmm. because your boy got a heart condition and it not going away anytime soon. It, in fact, cannot go away anytime soon. That's correct. But yeah, that's the tale of Batman Beyond. Right on. Well, I guess that brings it down to me. I got Captain America. Good old Steve Rogers. First Good appearance old... of comic books was, what, March of 1941 in his own self-titled debut comic. Very famous for punching Hitler in the face on the front cover. Everybody loves it. Excellent. I know I do. Um, you already know the tale. Scrawny kid. Bad health. Gets a super soldier serum by volunteering. Becomes Captain America. America, yeah. No, just kidding. Right? America, yeah. America, um, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Needless to say, you already know Steve's you know, big old thing of being nice guy. Very accountable for. We'll fight for the lesser man at all times. Believes in fair game. You know, what America really envisioned itself to be, but not. 
sorry to say. How much do you guys know about his longtime friend, Sam Wilson? Very little, if it wasn't mm-hmm. for the show. Okay. Well, for Falcon, Sam, he first appeared in Captain America 117 back in September 1969. Sam's story is just like every, most everybody else's story. Sam lost both his parents to violent crimes living in Harlem, New York. So at one point, under the, I think, by the time he was 17, he himself was an emancipated teen orphan. Despite all the tragedies, Sam became very involved in social work and meets Captain America on, on Exile Island. He did have a prior life beforehand. He did enlist at the age of 18 because, I mean, when you're that orphan and you have nothing else going on, you might as well somewhere and do something with yourself. So he got himself some training. He meets Captain America on Exile Island. The island is not exactly called Exile Island. It was taken by a group called the Exiles. Not the same ones you may know. Not the mutant group. It's another group. They teamed up with Red Skull. We don't know. No one here likes the Red Skull, right? Right? Fuck that. All right. Exactly. In particular. So, mm-hmm. But of course, Red Skull betrays them and they're left to fight Steve, Sam, and the local indigenous to fight to get off the island. Sam would become Steve's crime fighting partner from that point on. He would receive your help from, you know, your boy T'Challa by getting a harness made out of vibranium. Also, Red Skull will pull some cosmic cube shenanigans and give Sam his bird telepathy by just wishing it upon him. I miss the bird telepathy. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> In 616 lore, the evil Iron Nail drained Cap of his Super Soldier Serum while there's some big stuff going on in Dimension Z. I don't know much about Dimension Z. Never heard of it. It's the first time. I'm more familiar with Dimension X, a la Ninja Turtles. This is totally different. But it had an Arnim Zola, and he decided to invade Earth. Of course, the Avengers stopped him, but Cap was no longer able to be Cap because now he was rapidly aging and old after being drained. Not being able to attend, he kind of set that last mission out. They stopped Zola. He had a last-minute bomb that was he was just like, if I can't win and everybody dies, and so, no, so I got wings. So he took the thing, flew it sky high, way above the atmosphere, nearly killing himself to get rid of it. But he pulled the Tony Stark, did it, came back, and Cap was like, you know what, man? Not because of just the sacrifice you've made today, but because you're just an okay guy all the time, and you're just Sam. I'm gonna give you this shield, and Sam was like, well, all right, man, I'll I'll take it. I'll do you proud. And Steve was like, well. It couldn't be in better hands. I'm sorry, Bucky. I'm sorry, Bucky fans. I hear you all the time. I'm so sorry. But Steve doesn't see it that way. Bucky doesn't even see it that way. Please shut up. Okay. (laughs) Moving forward. It's very obvious what you should do when there are two people who are up for a mantle and one of them very much does not want it. And the other is like, yeah, sure, I'll do it if you want. Don't right. give it to the guy who doesn't want it. <laughs> the comic transition is not so much a social movement, or not like the uh, the show, but still significant in the fact that, like, for Prince, there was a lot of other backlash. Marvel wanted to let you know that things change, and this is America, dude. It was never always just white, man. It never always was just your America, and also theirs. So it's a different tale to tell right now. Things have transitioned to more back to the racial argument. And no better to spotlight that, but put someone draped in the red, white, and blue that most people don't believe should be wearing that suit. Although his people have single-handedly built that whole country from the get-go. It comes to mind, like, how how much of America do you think is yours? You got to remember, like, this is a land of all peoples. Don't forget, that's the rule set you put in your own rules. You made that up. Land of the free, home of the brave, right? Am I wrong? Oh, you're right. Mm. And whenever a mantle is changed to a person of color, the immediate backlash shows more character than you were ever a fan of the original character in the first place. Yeah, that's it. Is when they go, you know, hashtag not my Spider-Man, hashtag 
not my in America. No shit. It's, it never was. It's everybody's. And mm-hmm. if they want to change it, they can. If you want to really have ownership over it, sure. Steve can be your Captain America. Sam can be mine. As where Miles can be Beastie Spider-Man. Well, Peters can be, well, someone else can be Peters, right? Like it's, you got to let go of that ownership, man. You're not entitled to it. It's just a fictional character that we all bond with. What it does is it shows immaturity. It shows just an inability to identify with someone who's not exactly like you. And that's, that's shitty. That just sucks. But yeah, y'all. That is my basis. It comes up. It comes down to like when people argue, well, they're not going to make Black Panther a white guy. Well, yeah, no, because that's not the heritage. No, they didn't take Danny Rand and give him a, a, like an Asian role. Like he was there and he learned it and then he left. And then now that's being passed on to someone else too. But like Black Panther is not exactly the kind of mantle you could just pass over to a different type of heritage. It doesn't have the same flex. It's not the same thing. No one acts like Black Panther is a heuristic for everything. But yeah. people act like Captain America should be a heuristic for America on the whole. Yeah. So if that's not a flexitive role, if that's an exclusionary role, like has already been said, that says so much about the way you view the default. Yeah. We had a big, huge discussion on character representation on the topic of race swapping that if you'd mm-hmm. like to continue with this particular example, we invite you all to go check out. Yeah. We go into a lot more detail there. Mm-hmm. We do. But again, this mantle is very important because America has changed in the last 50 some odd years. And for some of it, some good and some of it not so great. And a lot of it's still here that's really old, an old mentality of thinking that kind of needs to go. And so Sam kind of represents that struggle against it, man. So I really encourage everybody out there who's against Sam as being Captain America to kind of look at yourself a little bit more and kind of think forward. Think about it. (laughs) Who for thought? So we've gone through some fictionals and comics and television and all of that when it comes to Passing the Torch. But the reason for this episode is we have ourselves a real life. We do? I'm just kidding. I, I guess I'll... Do I just say words here? Yeah. Say, I mean, your, word, yeah. Yours. say your words, man. Damn. Yeah. As of this 100th episode, whenever you're listening to this or whenever you can catch it, this is my departure from the New Crusade podcast, not from the whole grouping itself. It's just the podcast portion. I'm just shifting my direction to other projects per se yeah no it's been it's been a fun time you know nonetheless starting this and obviously having fun in different interactions and discussions of as well because it helped me learn a lot about like how podcasting works and even with the different mini discussions we've went over helped me learn about the different medias different characters all the stuff even different movies that we've discussed so yeah it's been mostly a fun time but uh i i do not care to mental no more for the podcast host that goes to our newest edition, Tea Stain. Welcome to the club, Tea Stain. I'm excited to be uh, having my voice appear on here a little bit more. Uh, some of the live stuff we do, the Twitch streaming, I've uh, been present for already, but I'm looking forward to the learning curve that I know is coming with this. I definitely have some experience to build up, but uh, very cool to be in this space and uh, among these people. Right on. Beastie, you, you will be missed. You truly are the anchor to me. You are the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> Am I the falcon to your falcon? On my, on your left. <laughs> oh, man. Beastie, if people want to go check out your favorite episode, what would they go check out? Either, ooh, t- actually I have two favorite episodes. I, mm. I want to say three, but I'm going to, we've done enough JoJo stuff, so I'm going to leave no, that. No, 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 it's, 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 no, no, t- knock him out the park. No, go ahead. You got three. Take your three. Three you want, dude. Do it. It's oh, floor. man. Okay, so my, my top favorite one, just because the topic itself is very interesting, and just even doing the research for it was very unique, our Fundamentals episode, 
mm. where I was more or less discussing the black representation in Japanese media and how, like, in a sense, those two slowly collaborated together in different forms of media, whether it was Japanese uh, media or music coming together in black entertainment or vice versa, black representation was coming into Japanese media and flow centric of both of those merging to, you know, make what uh, we have for anime and stuff like that as of today. So there's that one. There's the the anime uh, episode where we were discussing in well for the month of May, the reborn episode where I discussed yeah. my favorite anime, and people should watch that shit and get to know it because it's some good stuff. You come you come back for anime, right? You're coming back for that, at least. Yeah, I'll come okay. back for sure. Okay, okay, all right. Yeah, and then besides that one, the JoJo episode that me and Shino discussed leading up to the hype for uh, part six anime. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so that one was a good one. That was a fun one to look at, and oh my god, the oh, man. talking about Stone Ocean and that event. Good lord, that was a that was a train wreck, but it was something. Uh, oh man, train wreck. that was fun. It yeah. is due to you two gentlemen that Table and I understand the JoJo lineage without even watching. Uh, without even watching. <laughs> yeah. Or reading. My God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you've put in a lot of work. Over the last almost two years, holy yeah, 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 dude. And you should be so so proud of everything you've done here. And I'm so glad you've been involved because your perspective has been invaluable. Mm -hmm. Just like I'm sure tea stain's gonna be mm -hmm. totally different mm -hmm. perspective. But yeah, I'm not gonna be a replacement. I, I'm gonna be a, a slightly lower substitute. <laughs> What the. I don't want to you know, hear that. You know, you, you know how your substitute teacher is like maybe a, sometimes more fun, but you never get the right lesson plan? It's going to be You're going to wheel out the TV and we're all going to watch Bill Nye? What? Yes. <laughs> oh my I'm kidding. All of this is fucking accurate, man. Don't do that to yourself. You're going to do fine, okay? I yeah. promise you. All right. Oh, man. Beastie, if people want to find you, uh, separate mm -hmm. from the Nerd Crusade, where do they find you? Well, besides the Twitch streams, because we're obviously still going to see me there, obviously gaming out and Ew. doing like some pop culture mm -hmm. stuff. Mostly, I'll be on Twitter, if anything. So, at BeastieBoyX should be the handle. Uh, we could correct it and just like on the images. But yeah, uh, they can find me there if they want to, you know, chat with me and all this stuff, because I just look up a lot of stuff for whatever's going on in the world and all the anime news. So, yeah, people can search me up from there. And with that, if you'd like to hear more discussions from us, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can tune in every Wednesday and you can catch us streaming live on Mondays and Thursdays at twitch.tv slash Crusade. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram for updates and join our Crusader chat on Discord by checking our link tree in the description down below. You can download any previous episodes or listen on your mobile device through anchor.fm or search Nerd Crusade on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for joining us and until next time, fellow Crusaders. Beastie, don't be a stranger, all right? And that's to be continued. Sweet. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this video, go ahead and button mash a thumbs up. If you want to swing by when we have a new video, web up the sub button. Oh, and while you're at it, hit the bell to be notified by. Oh,